What is the mission of our church? Why are we here? This is uh, an important message for all of our members and for anyone who is considering joining our church because it informs what we do, why we do it and how we're doing it. And of course, Jesus told us what we're meant to be doing. It's in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. So what is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus is someone who is learning to follow his ways, uh, living according to his commands, uh, putting into practice all that he said. And what did Jesus say we need to do to make disciples? First, we need to go, as we see in his own life and ministry, right? Wherever we are and wherever God may lead us, we're to be sharing the gospel in word and deed and calling people to put their trust in Jesus. And those who do, we baptize as the sign that they now belong to Jesus. But it doesn't end there, because Jesus said we also need to teach them. And that's the part I want to focus on here, because it's the part that is most often neglected. So what are we to teach them? It's to do what Jesus said. So we're not just teaching people to believe in Jesus, but what it means to follow him. You know, you can believe in Jesus. That's great. The devil believes in Jesus. The question is, are we following Jesus? You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says believe in Jesus and then live however you want. No, we've been saved from living how we want because the Bible says it leads to death. We've been saved from that so that we can live the way of Jesus, which is the way that God originally intended for our good. So if you are a believer, are you taking steps to conform your life to the way of Jesus? Are you motivated to find out what he wants you to do and then to act on it? And if not, why? That's the next question. Why? Why should I want to do it? Let's read what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What does the rock represent in the Bible? Jesus. He's the firm foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. So if we are wise, we will build our lives upon him. But how do we do that? Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and believes them, is that what he said? No, what did he say? Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, they are the wise ones. We have to practice what he says. Jesus is saying, if you don't follow my way and put it into practice, you are in danger of being swept away by the storms of life. But he doesn't say that because he's trying to scare you. He's not trying to motivate you with fear. He's saying it because he loves you. He doesn't want you to shipwreck your life. He wants you to have a, a flourishing life, a life full of purpose and joy. How do we know that? Well, because of the cross, 
because Jesus loves us so much, he was willing to sacrifice his own life for us so that we could receive a new life, the life that God intended for us. It's because of the cross that we can trust that what he says is true. And it's why we should rearrange our lives around his teaching, because we trust him. We trust that what he says is best for us, it's good for us, because we know he loves us. And it's why we should take steps to find out what he's teaching us and then conform our lives to it. So finally, how? How can we be taught to follow and do all that Jesus commanded? First of all, we need to know what Jesus actually said and how to apply it. You know, we need content. And in today's digital world, there is an incredible amount of teaching content. And there are all kinds of people who want to be our teachers. But you know, all the teaching in the world is not enough to help you when the storm comes. Listening to sermons and podcasts, reading books, having Bible studies, it will not help you. It may increase your knowledge, but it won't help you in a storm. Because we have to hear what Jesus is saying and then act on it. And the thing is, we all need help with that, don't we? I know I do. So one thing we should perhaps consider is what did Jesus intend when he said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them? You know, what's the context for hearing and doing so we can be helped to build on the rock? You know, we tend to apply the words of Jesus individualistically, but Jesus was speaking to his followers as a community. If we're going to follow the way of Jesus, it means being in community with others, with trusted leaders who provide oversight. That's what Jesus intends for us. And we know that because the Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 4 of his letter to the Ephesians, where he talks about the body of Christ, how we are joined to one another, how we need one another, but also how the ascended Christ has appointed pastors and teachers, among others, to equip the church and bring us to maturity. And when he says church, he means specific communities of believers that make up local churches. And these pastors and teachers are therefore people who are known and trusted. They are not hired hands. They are the shepherds who love their flock. And churches that understand that will devote themselves to their teaching. It's what the church in Jerusalem did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just the teaching they were devoted to, it was the apostles' teaching, right? These were known, trusted men who were the pastors and teachers of that church at the time. They prayed and studied and labored over their teaching in order to prepare the right food for the sheep. It's a bit like the meal your mother makes you. Maybe like me, when you were growing up, you can remember your mother saying, eat your veggies, eat your greens, eat your broccoli. Why? because it's good for you. Loving parents try to provide a nutritious and balanced diet for their children, so they'll grow up healthy and strong. Left to themselves, children would want to eat what? Pizza, fries, ice cream, KFC, McDonald's. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with eating those things. I eat all those things. But if that's all you eat, it will not do you good. Your mother knows best. She makes sure you eat your broccoli. And in the same way, God has appointed pastors and teachers here to care for you. So you can supplement their teaching as much as you want, as long as you eat your broccoli. But seriously, we serve much more than broccoli at our church. We're trying to provide a variety of teaching, not just in content, but in methods. Because just consider for a moment 
what methods Jesus used to teach his first disciples to obey all he commanded. You know, if we look at the Gospels, we see he, he used a whole variety of teaching methods. He taught with a sermon, as in the Sermon in the Mount, which was probably a summary of his teachings. But how else did he teach? He taught in parables, telling stories that stick in the mind. He used uh, object lessons, you know, drawing their attention to a fig tree or a child in their midst. He taught through asking questions and through dialogue. He taught by doing miracles that revealed who he was when faced with a storm or a hungry crowd. And of course he taught them by giving them an example to follow, like when he washed his disciples' feet. I would suggest that no single way of teaching is adequate to form disciples. Not when we consider how effective our culture is at forming its own disciples through its use of television, film, news, education, advertising, social media and so on. Historically, the church in the West has relied on a Sunday sermon to teach people, which is kind of similar to a lecture, isn't it? It's a long talk presented by an individual and passively listened to by a large group of people. And what do you think the experts say is the most least effective form of teaching? A lecture. The most effective forms of teaching involve some form of participation, which is why we need one another. It's not just pastors and teachers we need, it's the community itself. When Jesus taught his disciples, it was in the context of community. And that is why our church now has a variety of ways of teaching and we're trying to make it more participatory where we are interacting as a community rather than just passively listening as individuals. So on Sunday mornings, our messages are usually a narrative from the Bible, a story or a theme. In the past, we've looked at the parables of Jesus, and we've done a series on the names of Jesus or portraits of Jesus. And now we're looking at some of the characters from the book of Acts to hear their story. We've got a lot of people who are now participating in giving these messages and who are being trained to do so as part of our overall plan to make disciples. And in these messages, we often ask questions to engage people. And then we'll usually end with an invitation to come to Jesus in communion, which involves everyone participating. And then an invitation to receive prayer. And we've kept our congregations smaller, so it's easier to experience community when we gather. But at the same time, we also produce a regular series of messages that we post online. And that's because we still believe in the value of teaching through whole sections of scripture or books of the Bible, rather than just topics and themes. It's what's called expository teaching. And it enables us to go deeper into God's word as well as teaching people how to read the Bible for themselves. It helps us to understand God's big story and our place in it. And as we work through sections of scripture, it also forces us to deal with some of the Bible's more difficult teachings rather than just kind of cherry-picking our favourite topics. We've recently done a whole series of messages on 1 Peter, uh, Galatians, uh, the Book of Esther, uh, the Psalms of Ascent, and the, and the Sermon on the Mount. And we've chosen to keep this kind of teaching online so it can be accessed at any time by people inside our church and outside our church. In fact, we have over 700 subscribers now on our YouTube channel. But it's also so that all of our congregations can be taught by myself and our other main teachers. Ideally, we would love for people to watch these messages in community with others so there can be real participation. And that's why we do it in our midweek small groups. 
two or three times a month. They will watch the videos together, followed by a time of dialogue, discussion, um, application and prayer. And we believe that way we're getting the most out of these messages. So if you're unable to get to a group for some reason and uh, you want to explore other options that might work for you, please do get in touch. But just to make clear, you know, attending a small group is not primarily about what you get out of it. In fact, it's not primarily about you or me. It's about us as the body of Christ together, participating in order to serve one another and be accountable to one another. Your participation in a small group is helping others to feel connected and to grow as disciples as they put the teaching of Jesus into practice. And it provides an opportunity for you to put into practice the commands of Christ, because it means loving one another, serving one another. And so it's helping you as well to build on the rock. And then for those who have the time and desire to learn more, we also have our theological training called Trilogy. And each semester, we look at different topics. And this fall, it will be the foundations of Christian leadership. 12 weeks of meeting on Thursday evenings with reading, lectures, assignments, and dialogue, all designed to help us to live the way of Jesus. So we've got a whole variety of teaching content and ways of teaching aim to help us all to participate and apply this teaching to our lives so that as a community we can help one another to grow as disciples of Jesus and to make disciples. And that is the what, why and how of being a disciple of Jesus in our church. Now let me conclude with a quote from the late great Dallas Willard who wrote a classic book on discipleship called Divine Conspiracy. And this is his summary of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. In summary then, the disciple or apprentice of Jesus as recognized by the New Testament is one who has firmly decided to learn from him how to live his or her life, whatever that may be, as Jesus himself would do it. Just pause there. Have you taken that step yet? To learn from Jesus how to live your life? Have you firmly decided? Is it a priority? Then he says, and as best as they know how, they're making plans, taking the necessary steps, progressively arranging and rearranging their affairs to do this. Again, just pause. In this coming season, is it time for you to consider rearranging your affairs to better position yourself to learn from Jesus and to live for him? And finally, he says, all of this will, in one way or another, happen within the special and unfailing community he has established on earth, which is the church. And the apprentices then are, of course, perfectly positioned to learn how to do everything Jesus taught. And that is the process envisioned in the Great Commission of Matthew 28.